Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. In each episode, we'll be covering a different topic that hopefully we'll be able to address with more nuance and depth than we might be able to in a weekend service. We'd love for this platform to be the start of the conversation, and hopefully it sparks more in-depth dialogue with your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Hi, we're the hosts of the show. I'm Paul Joslin. And I'm Melissa Frisbee. This season of the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast, we're exploring the effects of having too much of a good thing. Here in the U.S., we live in a culture that pulls our attention by encouraging us to be independent, strive for personal success, achieve happiness, all while maintaining our comfort through the path of least resistance. Is this the life we're called to seek? A life pursuing our American idols? Today, we're exploring the Big C Church and our emphasis on marriage and families. It seems that we've defined the ultimate fulfillment of the Christian life as getting married and having a family rather than advancing God's kingdom and glorifying Him. How do we recognize when we might be holding on too tightly to this cultural expectation and allow the freedom that Jesus has to offer us to let go of this idol? Let's dive in. All right, so welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. Uh, We are talking about American Idols. This is episode two. And today, uh, we thought it'd be helpful just to get back into the the rhythm of talking about this with another uh, definition of what idolatry Mm -hmm. is before we jump into the idol we're we're talking about. So um, one of the definitions I came across in some of the study for this was that in the beginning, idols promise you everything and demand nothing, but in the end, our idols will demand everything but deliver nothing. And I thought that was kind of a helpful place to start with the conversation today, especially with uh, the theme of marriage and family as an mm-hmm. idol, uh, because I think that can often be one of the places that that idol takes us. It, you start with family and marriage, and you're like, oh my gosh, my life is about to be so amazing, <laughs> and I'm going to like happily ever after. Um, and then actually, marriage demands a lot of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it's your idol, then it demands even more. Um, so yeah, I thought that might be kind of a, a helpful place for us to start. Mm-hmm. Another definition uh, that I came across is from Andy Crouch, uh, and it's kind of a similar theme, but he says, at the end, idols completely fail. They not only fail to deliver the godlikeness or immorality that they promised at first, uh, they rob their worshipers of even the most minimal human dignity and agency. Of all the changes, the biblical charges the biblical prophets file against idols, the most damning is this. Those who make them become like them. Mm -hmm. The very human creativity that was able to fashion a God's substitute, undermine, and eventually eradicate by idolatry. Um, Really, it's the idea that that the idols that that we craft and that we worship end up really taking over our hearts and and minds and souls and become like we are crafted and shaped uh, into them. And I think we see that a lot with this. What's that? With Gollum. Yeah, we do see that with Gollum. That's true. That's a great example. Yeah, it's crazy. That's important. The first thing I see. No, I think that was perfect. Gollum. Yeah. Well, and I, well, my question was going to be um, Alyssa, we should just start talking about our families and I how they're it. our idols. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love my mom. Yeah. She's the best. I have to say that. Yeah, I think that's where you always have to start. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so with this idea of, of family and idolatry, um, the the idolatry of marriage, mm-hmm. um, what is your family? <laughs> 
We're doing great today. Um, yeah, so I am married to Kyle, yep. um, whom I just talked about in the last podcast. Yeah. Um, so if you didn't listen to that one, listen, you'll get Go check a little, it out. yeah, interesting information about him. Um, but we've been married for eight years okay. together for yeah. nine. Um, and I have two kids, mm-hmm. one that, uh, Lindley, who is 16 months, yeah. um, and Lane, who is three years old. And they're both super cute and super fun. They're yeah. awesome. They've got a lot of personality. <laughs> yeah, for which sure. is great. You want that in toddlers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. What about you? Yeah. So Stephanie and I have been married for uh, 10 years. We just had our 10 year anniversary. Oh. We're a little unique in that um, <laughs> we met when we were in middle school and she did not like me. We started dating late in high school and dated for a while, been married for 10 years. Um, and then we have a two year old daughter named Camden. Um, and so with our combined parentage and marriage, mm-hmm. I mean, there's 20 years of wow. advice and yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can like, combine. I don't know if that's how that works. <laughs> well, I was going to say seven years at least of parenting knowledge. Yes. So yeah. we'll... We're the experts. Saw, yeah, we're the experts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, But we do um, want to talk about this uh, I idea that marriage um, and family can become an idol in our culture mm-hmm. because it seems to be pervasive in, in a few different places outside of the church, but really like within the church yeah. as well. Um, and something that a lot of people um, may not even recognize, as we talked about last time, idols are often something that are good yeah. um, inherently uh, that then kind of get twisted and misshapen um, in really detrimental ways. So Alyssa, when you think of like some of the ways that you see idolatry as playing a role with marriage and family, what are some of the things that like kind of come initially to mind of, of ways we could see that play out as an idol? Absolutely. So I would say when I think about that idol in the culture at large, I kind of think it almost shows up in two different ways. Mm. So I think there is the one that almost has an idol of singleness and of independence. And so there's kind of this perspective of like, I don't want, kids. Yes. I only want to have sex. I yeah. don't want to be in a committed relationship. Yep. Um like it's almost the antithesis of family or yeah. marriage is the idol of just like the freedom and independence and mm-hmm. want some of the things that traditionally have been associated with marriage but without any of the like for lack of a better term consequences. <laughs> Not that I'm calling <laughs> kids consequences, but <laughs> sometimes right? yeah. turns out. Um <laughs> Yeah, and so some statistics that kind of come to mind, um, which are a little bit jarring, if we're being honest. Kind of the idea that children are collateral damage in this culture, Mm -hmm. that uh, one in five pregnancies end in abortion. Yeah. Um, And this is statistics in America specifically. Yeah, yeah. that feels important. Yeah. Um, One out of three kids don't have a father at home. And more than 50% of children born to women under 30 are born out of wedlock. That's the one that's just crazy to me yeah. right now. Yeah, that yeah, that it's almost that children are this nuisance and a hindrance to yeah. a good life. That mm-hmm. I can't I can't travel, I can't like go out if yep. I've got these things keeping me yeah. down and so I will do everything to avoid that. Yeah, totally. And then we I think we also see especially uh, in younger generations that people are stepping into that space later and later, mm-hmm. um, especially if, if uh, it's outside of the church. And so that I think like the average age that people are getting married is like 31 for men and 28 for women, which is like mm-hmm. years and years later than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's this movement in culture at large where it seems like uh, there's actually a, a movement away from family. Mm-hmm. Um 
But then within the church, there's also an interesting um, kind of like reaction against that where it feels like marriage becomes the like thing Mm -hmm. uh, that's so, so important. And so um, we step into this space and we see family kind of become an idol, um, not because it's uh, something we distance ourselves from, but because we embrace so, so deeply. And so kids become like gods to us and that that our whole life and our all of our parenting yeah. revolves around their schedules, their activities, making sure they're happy. Mm. Um, and parents really like, you can talk to them and that can be kind of like the space they exist in, just wanting yeah. to make sure their kids are happy. And, and um, even to the point where you can see like the same thing happen with marriage that like, a lot of times it seems like the point and purpose of discipleship to Jesus is to find a spouse mm-hmm. and that the height of like faithfulness to God, um, and that'll be what we spend a lot of time talking about, is marriage. Mm-hmm. And that in order to, to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be married and, mm-hmm. and have a spouse. And so both of those are, are areas that, um, yeah, aren't necessarily the healthiest view of this idea of, of marriage, the way God designed it and intended it. Um, yeah. And that the church supports keeping that as an idol, yeah. right? That that's the, and that we encourage that, mm-hmm. um, is a little bit scary, yeah, right? Absolutely. That it's, you know, that it, um, it, and it, in a way we, when we talked about discussing this, it, I was nervous cause it almost felt too close to home, right? Sure. Just to tell people, Hey, your kids might be your idol or right. your marriage might be your idol. Yep. Um, that that might, make some people upset yeah. um, who are devout mm-hmm. believers that come here every Sunday um, yeah. or are online, you know, that that's yep. um, because it's so integrated into Christian culture. It's kind of scary. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, and it, it's, it's fascinating because what we've traditionally thought of is that there's idols in culture at large and the church is supposed to be a, a counterculture, yeah. a voice uh, in response to that, a reaction against that, an alternative community, if you will, mm-hmm. a space where people can, can live out the cultural ideals that, that God has for us. And yet really with this one, it's so tricky because we see a lot of times um, that the church is reinforcing this idolatry of, of, of kids and family. Mm-hmm. And I even think about when we, um, so Steffi and I, we'd been married for a while before we decided to have Kim. And we were married a little over seven years before we decided to have kids. That was our choice. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people don't have that choice, uh, but they're, <laughs> we were going to grad school. We were trying to get established. Mm-hmm. We'd been dating for a while. We just wanted to enjoy being married. So we waited. There was an assumption when we found out that we were pregnant from multiple people who came up to us and said, we're so glad you were finally able to to do this. We know you've wanted it for so long. And our reaction was, oh, that was not, we didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) That was not um, what, yeah, Mm -hmm. we were were fine with our timeline. There was no, but it was just so culturally ingrained that you get married, you have kids, and that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so we kind of bucked that trend a little bit by being married for a while without kids. And people didn't really have a category for it. They assumed Mm -hmm. there must be some, ulterior thing going on of like inability to conceive or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so that's just one of the ways I think uh, I've seen or experienced this idea that I know a single friends who the assumption is like, if you're not, you're, you're supposed to be dating someone, you're supposed to yeah. be looking for someone, you're supposed to, that's the question you ask all the time. There's not really an idea that someone who's single could be perfectly happy and content mm-hmm. in that season of life and, mm-hmm. um, and that they don't feel a need to step into something else. So and that's just some of the way I think we can kind of see that that um, idolatry 
play out in in culture and in the the church space? I think where it becomes an idol is when it marriage and your kids become the way to be known and be loved. Yes. That it's because there is something beautiful about having a spouse and having children and being stewards of those mm-hmm. things and it being discipleship, right? Yeah. Because it turns out when you just having kids isn't that fun all the time, you know, <laughs> sure, that you can't yeah. go out, you can't travel, you yep. can't do all of these things. So there is a lot of discipline that comes with that. And I think there's something beautiful on that, but it becomes an idol when that is the way that you are getting fulfilled in a mm-hmm. way that you should be getting fulfilled from your relationship with yeah. God and from Jesus. And, yep. and I think when it, when something happens with either your, your spouse or your kids, obviously very complex, but when it totally turns everything in your life completely over and you mm-hmm. can't, you're like a little roly pulling your back. You can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't flip back over. Yeah. Um, that, that to me, maybe that there's a signal that there's something, yeah. that there's been something deeper. And mm-hmm. unfortunately you have to deal with it. At that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tim Keller, he's done a lot of work on idolatry and he has this idea that there are really like kind of four root idols mm-hmm. uh, at the core of, of all idolatry and it's power control acceptance, um, and love. And mm. I would say that family probably falls into those last two categories yeah. for, for a lot of us that, um, we have this idol of this need to feel accepted, to feel loved, to feel valued, um, to feel appreciated, to feel known. And the way we solve that, um, longing is with family. And so mm. we look for a spouse that will accept us and love us and fulfill us. Um, and there's space for that. But if, if we are expecting those people <laughs> to, yeah fulfill that in us, then turns out they are going to disappoint us and marriage is going to be a lot of, of really hard work. Um, it makes me think of, um, and you, I think, know The Office better than I do. <laughs> I do. But probably it, do. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of when Michael Scott brings the video of when he's a kid yeah, to show it to the staff uh-huh. and the... Is it a bunny or something? It's interviewing so there's some him. Sort of, yeah, there's some like sort of like furry thing. situation yep. that yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's, yeah, <laughs> it's interviewing him. He's like he says he like wants to be a dad. Yeah, but so that he will have friends. That, yes, and he that no one can leave him. Yeah, right. That and I think that that yeah. Obvi- I don't think any of us would go into our vows that are on our wedding day saying right. that. That's like you have to be my friend. You can't leave me. <laughs> but I do think that that's that's when it becomes an yeah. idol, mm-hmm. right? Is when it becomes that it's like you. I have community. I don't have to seek at other places. Yep. I don't have to. Um, work harder that I can just invest in these relationships. Yeah. One of the things we've been talking about in this season of American Idols is that idols are are anything we look to for security, Mm. safety, something that will deliver us, something that will satisfy us, uh, that promises it'll do so, but that it's incapable of actually doing that. Um, And I think when you look at the state of marriage um, in our culture, you can see a lot of that, even with the way that people marry and divorce so easily. um, And talking specifically like celebrity culture, right? Mm. The answer all the time is that, well, they didn't make me happy. Um, that's that's where that idolatry comes in. You're looking yeah. for that person to fulfill and satisfy something that they were never intended or capable of fulfilling. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the trick that we can uh, adopt that same idolatry within the church. Um, and I think you also see that in the space of 
there's an expectation in culture and church that, that fit, and it's maybe shifting a little more in culture, but that families are all supposed to look the same. Family or marriage can become an idol, but then there's even an idolization of what that's supposed to look like, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's two people who are married, they have three kids, they live in a house, they have a dog, mm-hmm. um, and and it's kind of like tied up, wrapped up in the American dream mm-hmm. um, of satisfaction. So we've not only said that there's someone out there who could maybe fulfill us and satisfy us and make us whole. Um, but then we've even said that that the goal, the end of, goal of our life is to achieve that mm-hmm. type of, of reality and that type of family. And so we're, we're setting people up um, or people are setting themselves up for this idea that all of those things will fulfill, satisfy their deepest longings. And when people don't reach that, then we see a lot of the fallout of that and how it things begin to fall apart. Well, and then the church becomes this institution that is just f- focused on that specific way of looking. Yes. And so we have no context for single parents or foster parents or um, people that are like divorced. That yeah. All of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you don't fit into this box. And so right. we can't, there's no space for you. Yeah. And I, and I would say that that is not specifically Waterstone, but church as a whole, yeah, right? That sure. it's, if you don't meet this thing, mm-hmm. and if we're being honest, from what we just talked about with culture, that group of people is becoming more and more of a minority. Oh, sure. And yeah. so if we are, a, as a church, are just looking to this one like paragon, yeah, yeah and yeah. like demographic of people, then we are missing so right. much um, more of the kingdom and like in a, of the community. Yeah, um, which absolutely. Which is really unfortunate. Yeah, the church is, has so emphasized family and, and marriage that we, as culture has shifted and mm-hmm. less people are getting married, I think it, it's something like 50% of adults in America are not married yeah. and are single. If our whole ministry philosophy is ministering to people who are married, then there's less and less people in that category. And so mm-hmm. um, even for the church just to, to continue to exist and flourish and thrive, we have to have a larger paradigm. Um, and I think that really at the heart of it is is that idea that the church has kind of gone along with this idea that to be married is the highest form of discipleship. Yeah. That to follow Jesus um, means to have a family, um, to be married, to have kids. Um, and that if we want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, then those are the things uh, that we'll step into. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's a lot to say about that that we'll, we'll probably get to, namely that like Jesus himself wasn't married. <laughs> and so if we're, so our highest dumb. calling is to, yeah, be him, be like him, then uh, there's probably a lot to say about that. Um, but I, I think we end up sending this unintentional message to a lot of people that if they're single, they don't belong yeah. within the church, or that there's kind of this idea that there's the the varsity team and the JV team, mm-hmm. and married people are varsity, and and single people are JV, and there's yeah. seen as like this neediness attached with that, and and some sort of like deficit that that we kind of. Uh, even I say overtly, we communicate that yeah. and even subliminally. Um, and so we can create this space where people feel like uh, if they're single, then they don't have a place within our communities um, and can struggle to feel like an outsider that they are just on the JV team. Um, and we, what we've done is we've created this idea that um, singleness is a stage that you're supposed to move through and yeah. move past um, rather than... A perfectly like 
viable and, and valuable um, way of existing in the world and following Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, I was talking to a friend about this and she was talking about that it really, the church's view of singleness does almost feel like a work of the devil because mm-hmm. in reality, single people have a lot more bandwidth. I get that, you know, sure. obviously they, they fill their time, but they have so much more, um, they can have so much more intention and flexibility Mm -hmm. to really focus on the gospel and on the kingdom and ministering. And so it is so crazy that in a way there's this like workforce Mm. for the kingdom that we are like not utilizing because we're like, you seem weird and different (laughs) as opposed to like, I think the reason why Jesus was single is because he, if he were married and had kids, like that would pull away from his sole mission here mm-hmm. which was to to be a kingdom on earth and yeah. to die for us and if yeah. he had this pull or the strain to like well i don't want to leave my kids behind mm-hmm. that that wouldn't or i can't like go in the desert for 40 days or whatever because yeah. like you know <laughs> mrs right. jesus yeah. says i can't uh-huh. um that like that would be really that would be different and he would not have been as impactful. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like there's something to be said for the fact that it it shouldn't be viewed as a transitional stage. That in reality right. there's this amazing like spiritual force that the church is squelching yeah. because of being a deficit. Yeah, these kind of like values and this idolization of, of marriage and families yeah. being the highest form of discipleship. Um, and for sure, marriage is a part of discipleship. If you're married, yes. you will be discipled and you will be transformed <laughs> and you will grow and you will be challenged and you will see the ways that you are fallen and need redemption mm-hmm. and forgiveness and, and all of those things. But we've somehow equated marriage as being a transformed formational um, space to being the way we're transformed. Yes. And that's a key difference in that people who are, are single are just as much capable of discipleship and transformation and growth, maybe not through the means of marriage, but um, that's because it, it was never meant to be um, the end. And we've we've made it kind of the end all be all. And I think maybe why it's funny that, you know, we're in a conversation about marriage and family and how that's idolatry. And we're yeah. spending a lot of time on singleness. Um, but really it, it's to kind of maybe point out the value discrepancy yeah. um, between the two. Um, and even the ways that like singleness is seen as a deficit, um, the way that we encourage people to like seek after relationships and mm. find people, uh, the way that we put expectations on people uh, in our lives to fulfill ourselves, mm-hmm. the ways that we put expectations on our kids um, to do those things that we really tend to define ourselves by our relationships. Yeah. And so then what the church does with that is to say, okay, well, if you're single, then you have this deficit of relationship in all these spaces rather than inviting people into the community of Christ that transcends yes. all those different ways that we mm-hmm. separate one another um, and, and divide one another. And so it, it's really core and essential to the church's identity as a space that transcends culture or that transcends um, demographics or that, that we're all unified in the person and work of Jesus Christ uh, that, yeah, your marital status or your Facebook relationship status <laughs> doesn't have any bearing on whether or not you're a, a faithful, functioning disciple or participant in the community of Christ. And yet we've unfortunately made it that way um, to our detriment. 
Well, and I think then the flip side, if you, I would say in the Catholic church, there's been the view that singleness is like being transcendent. Yeah. And it turns out that's not <laughs> great either. Yeah. That like that it's, has not worked out well. It's for had them. some problems. Yeah. yeah. Um, Google it if you want. But <laughs> or there's probably some great documentaries. I've seen a few of them. Um, but right, but like either way, if you are putting if you're making an idol of your relationship status, mm-hmm. either way, and you're not using God to make yourself more into who he's created you to be, yeah. then that is when the issues happen. When I was researching marriage and all the things, I found some really interesting research, Paul. Let me tell Let's you tell me the facts. about it. The facts. I feel like we should have a segment on this show that's like, uh, facts with the listeners. Right, I, don't know. I know. We'll figure I, it I can't out. help myself. I'm like, citation. <laughs> I, can't, I just need... Turns out it's because I read like one thing really intensely and you read a lot of things and you're like, I can't cite all... I don't know. I read yeah. like 10 things this week. Um, so this is from... Um, Eli Finkel at Northwestern University. Um, But he had all this work on the connection between marriage and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. Does Maslow's hierarchy of needs mean, I mean, your wife is a counselor, but does that mean anything to you? It does. The thing that's coming to mind is that basically people have certain needs to function well. So it's like food, shelter, clothing. I forget. There's like five, right? (laughs) (laughs) So essentially it like... I mean, I feel like clothes are very essential to me functioning well in society. (laughs) You get cold. (laughs) Um, Side note, I do have some nudist um, third cousins. Wow. um, So they don't feel that way. (laughs) And their kids are all named after like assorted tree nuts. Maybe not tree nuts. Um, Tree seeds, acorn, oak. So point is, is they don't feel that way. And this is family. So this is relevant (laughs) to share (laughs) now. There's different um, idolatries going on in that family. Exactly. Weird. They live in Wisconsin too. That feels very cold. Yeah. um, It's a bad place to be a nudist. Naked, right? Not great. Anyways. Okay. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. So it's, um, it's a triangle, right? And it's one of those things where you have to meet the, the need at the bottom to like go to the next need. So it almost, mm. I would say it like looks similar to um, like the nutritional okay. diagram, yeah. right? Um, and so uh, kind of the higher need that you go, the more um, yourself that you will be. Does that yeah. make sense? That's kind of, but you can't really, you can't like have love, but like not eat anything, right? Yeah, that like you're not sure. going to be a complete individual, right? Yeah. So, um, Eli's work was about the fact that marriage has actually gone up this, uh, and the and the purpose of marriage has actually gone up this triangle. Mm, okay. So originally, a marriage was used just to satisfy like the physiological and safety needs. So it's mm. like, hey, you're a man, I'm a woman, let's farm together and like yeah. raise some kids that we can come like slave labor for us and sure. like they can do it. It's almost like a business transaction of just basic survival. Exactly. Right. Like literally, I think he called it like economic partnership. Yeah. Right. And so like that was, so I, I wasn't as a wife, I was not looking to my husband to mm-hmm. do anything other than like, Hey, hook up the ox. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Make sure we have food. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and then around, and so that connects to, um, Biblical times, Roman uh, Caesar Augustus oh, sure, made yeah. a law that said if 
a woman's husband died, the widow has to marry within two years. Yeah. Otherwise, she was actually going to be fined. Yeah. And so I think because there were not those other resources in place for her to be taken care right. of. Right. There's no safety or social net to like catch mm-hmm. those people. And so widows became a burden to society. And so they yeah. said, like, we have to create laws to make sure we don't have too many widows. So you got to keep getting married or we're going to find you money so that you're like taken care of. So we don't have to take care <laughs> right. of you. Exactly. Yeah. So that it's like, uh, we need your psychological or like a physiological and safety needs met in the institution of marriage. So then around the 19th century, the concept of love marriages (laughs) became a thing, which actually word on the street is that it was kind of spurred by Jane Austen. Yeah. I know I've read that in the romantic period in some of those novels. That she was like, Hey guys, maybe love's real fun. Have you heard about Mr. Darcy? (laughs) And so she kind of spurred this idea of having love marriages. And so then all of a sudden, marriage becomes more about like, oh, I can have love and belonging in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not just about this like transactional thing that it's like, you know, we can like smooch and like it. Yeah, there's about romance. Right? Um, and so then kind of in the 60s and 70s, um, there became this focus on personal growth and fulfillment. Mm. And then marriage became that piece. So all of a sudden now we're at the top of the triangle, which is self-actualization. Okay. And that is the idea that you are supposed to be the most you that you can be. Hmm. Um, and I would not say it's a coincidence that in the 60s and 70s, that is when divorce rates started oh, to kick sure, up. Yeah. Is that all of a sudden you're looking to marriage to make you into who you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and he talks specifically about the Michelangelo effect. Hmm. Um, and Michelangelo has some quote that talks about, you know, when there's this piece of marble, I don't make it into anything. I am just chiseling away. Right. The to... sculpture that's already with it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just showing it. And so the Michelangelo effect is that I, as a spouse, am supposed to chisel you hmm. into who you are supposed to be, that I have yeah. that responsibility. Um, or even that we place that responsibility on someone else to do that for us, yes. to like help us achieve who we've, yeah. And I think that there's certainly in the self-actualization triangle um, that there's definitely a lot of ideology, like idolatry there that sure. you are depending on. And this is obviously in secular society, but you're depending on one person to make you who you're in, mm-hmm. like supposed to be. Yeah. And like you were saying before, Paul, that obviously marriage is refining. Yep. Um, and I would say I've learned more of the icky parts of myself being married than sure. I would have learned, than I've learned of of Kyle, mm-hmm. um, that are like, Ooh, that's not good. Let's <laughs> get rid of that. Yeah, Let's uh-huh. prune that off. Um, I did do shears, finger shears <laughs> when I did that. Um, but, the, but it should be in the context of, um, God as well. Yeah, totally. And I think that's where the, the miss often is, is that mm-hmm. if you're, um, separating kind of marriage from, from God and his mm-hmm. designs for marriage, then it does become something that it's for my benefit, right? Yeah. So even like going all the way down the hierarchy to where it's it's just like a economic benefit, yeah. um, there's still a level of, of, sure, everybody needs safety and security. And we still see that play out. Like in some of the statistics you read mm-hmm. earlier about kids born out of wedlock and stuff, there's a reason why people um, that are kind of in control of our society and want people to be married and yeah. that, that there's less burden and, and less, uh, you know, social networks that need to mm-hmm. like pick up the, the pieces of those situations. Um, but yeah, if we, if we just kind of come down to this idea of self-actualization where someone else uh, helps me become the person I was intended mm-hmm. to be, um, 
that is actually what discipleship is supposed to do. (laughs) Like this Mm -hmm. following of Jesus, this dedication to his ways and to his teachings. Um, We become more like Christ, not more like who we want to be. Um, And so there's this inherent miss if we think marriage is about um, making us into who we want to be, um, or if we even think that that our spouse will make us uh, more of who God wanted it, wants us to be. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a part of that conversation, but they're not God's sole design for our transformation. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of of kind of looking at that. Um, and you mentioned that as self actualization has kind of started out, uh, that that you actually can see kind of an uptick in divorce. Mm-hmm. And did you see anything of the correlation there, or, or what was kind of going on? Well, I mean, it seemed like they were all having it at the same time. So I don't know. Um, Eli Finkel didn't say specifically mm. like this was why this happened. Gotcha. But I think that we've like we're talking about with celebrity culture, and yeah. I think people around us. I wouldn't say that people are getting divorced because they don't feel like they're an adequate economic partnership, right. right? That it tends to be about more of those, you know, higher needs. This person isn't fulfilling me, or they're not. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so true. Yeah, and I think you can see that within the church too. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of conversations I've had with people who are frustrated in marriage, a lot of it comes down to some of those conversations. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's the idea that this person is really not meeting the needs that I want or the way mm-hmm. I want, um, and and that's a, a hard recipe for marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're expecting another person to fulfill or satisfy those, right? Like that's the the trick with this conversation. We all kind of inherently know that, yeah, um, and yet. The trick with idolatry is that it it is sneaky and it tricks us yeah. into believing that it will satisfy, that it will um, save, that it will deliver. It's much easier to trust that a person um, that we can see and touch mm-hmm. and experience will will meet those needs within ourselves than it is to say that that an ethereal God that we can't see, touch, or feel um, will be able to do. Um, so there is a, a disconnect there that I think um, is is. Yeah, it creates a challenge inherently. Totally. And I think it's fair to say that there are some things in marriage that are frustrating. That You're like, hey, can you just like fold your laundry? Right. You can't really just like pray to Jesus and be like, Jesus, can you fold the laundry? Uh I think it is hard when it comes down to like practically what does that um, look like, right? Mm. When um, and how do you actually achieve what you're the things that are actually frustrating in that relationship. How do you, how do you make that different? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, kind of if we can, can back up the conversation Mm -hmm. a little bit too, there in, within marriage, there's inherently like a biblical mandate for um, being fruitful and multiplying. Right. (laughs) So Uh there's like, that's the first command God gave. So there is an element at which, um, marriage plays a role in uh, in God's redemptive plan. Mm-hmm. Um, what's fascinating is is that's the place we often go to to like justify like the importance of marriage, right? Like yeah. God gave us that command, so we all need to like get married and have kids, and that will be the way that we'll save the world. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating is that is a is an Old Testament paradigm. So it's the first command that's given in Scripture mm-hmm. um, in many ways. But you see a lot of those. Um, commands kind of reworked and rewritten in the New Testament mm-hmm. to say like so in 1 Corinthians 
7, for instance, Paul talks about um, married life and yeah. what that is. But it's also the place that, that he talks about um, how it's good to stay unmarried if mm-hmm. you, you are um, unmarried. And that um, if you are married, uh, you should live as if you're not married. And the argument there that he's making is not you should be a terrible, lazy like husband <laughs> to your spouse. That's not the point. Yeah. But what he's really saying is in the context of, of 1 Corinthians 7 is that in Jesus, um, the old age has passed away. And he says this in this passage, the old age has passed away. We're entering the new age, the kingdom inaugurated Jesus, um, changing the, the very fabric of reality. And we as followers of Jesus are to live as if the new age has come and the old age has passed away. And so it actually shifts our paradigm of relationships that um, where previously there was a mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And, and to be honest, that was part of the redemptive track. Like yeah. if, if Adam and Eve weren't fruitful and multiply, we don't get to Jesus because we don't have the genealogy of people yeah, that fair. lead to, right? It's just very practical <laughs> application. <laughs> um, but we, we have Jesus. He mm-hmm. came, he conquered death. And so now we live in the new age that's been inaugurated with the kingdom. The idea is that as believers, um, the same mandate isn't necessary and that we can live in this new age as if the old age is passing away. Um, But as you kind of spoke to earlier with kingdom values, that our our highest priority is not our our spouse or our kids, but the kingdom of heaven and participating in that. And marriage and family can play a role in that, but... When we flip that paradigm, that's where um, it becomes tricky, and, and I think that idolatry begins to, to play a role. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just taking that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that's kind of a lot there. Like so, so to be uh, like an example, um, I'm trying to find the uh, um, where where Paul's kind of talking about this specifically. Um, he's talking about the 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 relationship married and unmarried have, but he says in, in chapter or verse eight, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, which we got to talk about that. Jesus, unmarried, Paul, person who wrote most of the New Testament, <laughs> both unmarried. <Yeah. laughs> so if, if it is essential to be married and to have kids to follow Jesus, then Jesus and his best apostle were not doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so Paul then to kind of wrap up this argument about marriage in, in verse 29 says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. So we live in this new age and we don't know how much time we have. Um, so from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Um, those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it is not theirs to keep. Really making this argument that everything is passing away. We kind of live in this transient time, so we need to not be too bogged down by the things that, that those this world has to offer, including um, marriage. He says, those who, uh, who use the things of the world um, as if it is not engrossed them, for this world in its present form is passing away. And then he goes on to say, I would like you to be free from concern. Mm-hmm. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. Mm-hmm. So Paul's really trying to make this argument that... Um, when 
marriage and family becomes this idolatry, it really becomes something that we have to to yeah. live for, give our time, attention, and devotion to. And not that we get permission to be bad spouses if we're married. Um, and he says we should remain married if we're married, yeah. but that our priorities have to switch, that our priority is the advancement of God's kingdom, living for the things that won't pass away. Um, and so whatever role family plays in that, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but if family is detracting from this, then we've we've got to figure out what our priorities are and where, where we're stuck. Um, so practically speaking, yeah, I was just going to ask you, what does that look like? Yeah, Paul, so practically, I, I think like w- a big way that I see that play out is in like time mm-hmm. and how we devote our time um, to our kids or to our family, yeah. and not that we shouldn't be intentional with uh, our marriages, and not that we shouldn't um, disciple our kids. But are are we discipling our kids, or are we uh, just trying to make sure that they like get into the college we want. And yeah. um, I remember I, when I was a youth pastor, I had a conversation with a parent uh, that said their kids don't really have time for church. And I was like, mm. that's a bummer because church is really important if you want them to be followers of Jesus. Yeah. And their response was, well, they can figure that out later. We just need to make sure that they get into a good college and that they like participate in their youth sports. And I thought, wow. that is flipping the paradigm, right? Yeah. Like we are sending a message to kids that, that faith is secondary, that mm-hmm. all these other things are important. And and families, when we craft our schedule as families yeah. um, to not have space for Jesus, to not have space for church, to not have space for discipleship, we're inherently sending them a message that those things are secondary and other things are more important. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where the the rubber begins to meet the road with this and, and the yeah. idol of family is what has our, our most important allegiance? What do we give our time into? What do we give our money to? What do we give our energy to? Yeah. I know all those things are are, are iffy things to talk about <laughs> that can get people up yeah. in arms. But also I think the things that we get offended by can reveal our idols too. But I feel like then the response is like, well, I want them to get a, a scholarship for sport. Sure. And you're like, how? I've seen your kid play. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but like, how much mo- is yeah. that really worth it? Like, right. if you you're literally putting a number, yeah, on your kid's relationship with God yeah. in that moment, you're saying that me putting Jesus as secondary mm-hmm. is worth it to me based on X amount of dollars at college. Yeah, like that is wild. Yeah, you know, like yeah. just you're literally monetizing it. Yeah. And, and then so we that wonder a, why kids grow up and leave the church. Yes, And right. yet we kind of told them that it was not as important. Um, so this is kind of a little bit of a, a soapbox for me as a youth pastor yeah, and as someone who works in the church. Yeah, I think that plays out of this idol of family and mm-hmm. in, in marriage. Um, and so I, I think the trick, and here's the thing, it can sound like maybe we're bashing people or we're saying like, you gotta figure your stuff out. Especially because we just have toddlers. Yeah, so totally. We, it's easy. My daughter can't play soccer yet. So <laughs> it's a lot easier. She's going to be amazing. No. Oh, absolutely. She's very athletic. Yeah. But the really and truly, the church has reinforced this message. Yes, yeah. And so we have said uh, that your kids should be your highest priority, mm-hmm. or we've said that your marriage is, should be your highest priority. And and as we've said repeatedly, marriage is an essential, if you are married, that is an essential way Jesus forms you and disciples you. But if that becomes the idol, then then that's where we've got to start uprooting these idols and, and really repenting and, and saying mm-hmm. Jesus is our first allegiance, most important thing um, in our lives and and 
it's a constant battle to try to make th- sure those things don't grow into the space where um, they overtake this the, the place that Jesus is supposed to have in our hearts. Absolutely. And it makes me think too a lot about maybe because I have a younger kiddo than you. So mm. I remember the sleepless nights and sure. all these things. You're I guess, living them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, do want to be intentional about timing being where, where you put your time is where you um, is your top priority. Because I do yeah. think there is a stage of parenting and probably multiple. So true. Where you literally, you're like, I literally have to feed my kid five times a day. Right. right? And like I and they can't freaking do anything. Yeah. Um, you know, or they would just eat goldfish, right? And totally. so how do you, what does it look like when your time and energy is accounted for? Yeah. That I, I certainly don't want to be the person that's like, well, you just need to wake up earlier. <laughs> right, yeah. Like that just means uh-huh. spirited, yeah. right? And so. You're sleeping four hours a night, sleep three. <laughs> exactly. So you what? could spend one hour yeah. drinking your coffee mm-hmm. in your chair with Jesus. So I, I do think there's a space of kind of doing a self-evaluation of even just like the three rhythms, right? Which is like such waterstone lingo, yeah. right? But the idea of like transfer, transform, neighbor, and restore. Yeah. And wh- where are those being seen in your in your life? Mm-hmm. And where are you encouraging your family to do yeah, those things? Totally. You yep. know that like we just had the like waterstone serves a, yeah. like a few weeks ago and they did have some projects that were for families yeah. and a lot of families did them and yep. i think that is so cool to say like we're gonna take a saturday morning um and yeah. go and surf together yep. um and get a view of this totally you know help restore god's kingdom and get yeah. a view of people that live totally different than totally. we are um yep. are you investing in your neighbors and that could be a, a text right that takes yeah. 10 seconds mm-hmm. um I guess depending on how slow of a texter you yeah. are, we're, we're talking a lot of some boomers <laughs> and some previous generations. Yeah, I guess yeah. um, you could call them on the, their landline if you need to. Um, that like that also feels important, yeah. right? And are you then like transforming? And are you encouraging your family to transform? And yeah. that could look like an hour every morning waking up at five, but that also could look like um, every time you're in the car by yourself, turning on literally listening to the Bible or yeah. listening to a sermon that yep. you are. I, you know, you don't feel like you have a ton of time, mm-hmm. um, but every you're being intentional with what you're putting in. Yeah, totally. You know, that I know that I can't, I have probably 10 half-read books around my house. Sure, I yeah. cannot read a book for the life of me. Right. But if it is audible, like I will, mm-hmm. I, I can get through a book like that. Yeah. Um, and so I know for me, I've had to be intentional about like, all right, if I'm in the car, I'm going to listen to a sermon. Yeah. Or if I'm cooking dinner. I'm gonna make my husband hang out with the kids for ten minutes. Yeah. Um. So I can like listen to this worship song or whatever it yeah. is in my time constraints. Yeah. I have to figure that out. Totally. Yeah. Um. And so unfortunately, I think and you it's have a to be creative. Really hard. Yeah. To just find like an hour to spend in solitude. She's yeah. like, what is that? Silence and solitude for parents <laughs> is not a thing. No. Um, it means something bad's happening. Right. If yeah. It's too yeah. Quiet. Exactly. It means you're probably going to the ER in a little uh-huh. bit. So. Um, yeah, so none of this is intended to, to say, and I, you know, this part is, is, I think specifically for like parents that we're talking to now, but it's, it's reminders of, of what's most important, right. Yes, and like yes. how to continually create space, uh, to remind ourselves that we don't live for our kids. We don't mm-hmm. live for our spouse. We live for Jesus. And we, my wife and I, Steffi, we even, um, hit this within the last week and that we realized our daughter's two. She can recite most of Moana to us and tell us about <laughs> the story of that movie. Uh, but she doesn't know stories about Jesus the way we would like to. And so we've started just telling her little stories about like Jesus and the lost sheep or Jesus in the storm. And 
so she's learning those stories as well. And it's little things like that that yeah. that don't necessarily have to take more time, um, but that can create, even within our kids, a lived experience of seeing what faith. That's a, a big part of, of this conversation around idolatry of the family is just how do we create reminders within our families yeah. um, that we're not living for our kids or our spouses, but for Jesus. And then I'd say even to like broaden the conversation um, for the the church at large is, is how do we be inclusive for people that yes. maybe aren't in our stage of life? or Because that's a reminder um, for us too, that, that <laughs> my family is not the end all be all to my discipleship. And yeah. I need people who are in different stages of life, um, reminders from, from widows or people mm-hmm. who are single or people who are parenting single or divorced that following Jesus looks like a lot of different contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can kind of help wake us up from from that space too um, to see, yeah, I, I think we have this idea that, that marriage uh, is a gauge of faithfulness or yeah. parenting is a gauge of faithfulness. And then some might say that singleness is a gauge of faithfulness, but really uh, it, it's not any of those things. Um, marriage and family is just one of the biblical paths and one of the ways yeah. that Jesus can reform and refine us. Um, and same with singleness. And so mm-hmm. we've got to do the hard work of of not elevating any of those above one another, but really saying we're all on the same journey. How yeah. do we walk together in this mm-hmm. space? The piece that I have pulled from our whole conversation is something you said at the beginning, which is maybe a third of the way through, um, which is the concept that the Christian community is unique and that the thing that solidifies us is mm. our love of Jesus. Yeah. And that should be the only thing yeah. that really is the same. Um, and unfortunately, that is not, I don't think that's reflected at Waterstone. I don't think that is reflected at, you know, in churches in our area, period. Yeah. And so what does it look like for us to go across all of those gender political, marital, race, all of the different lines and know that like that is messier community. Hmm. Um, but everyone should feel welcome here. Yeah. And I think all of us tend to to link together with people that are similar than us. So we mm-hmm. say like, we're in community. And it's like, yeah, but you're only in community with people that you like yeah, or with people right, that yeah. you have chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the church should be more like family in that you... I didn't get to pick you, yeah. Um, but I'm gonna love you because yeah. that's my job. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really well said and a in a good space to wrap up this kind of conversation of of marriage as an an idol because that's really the thing that that begins to strip an idol of its mm-hmm. power is saying that there's someone's more important, Jesus, and it transcends all these demographics and these different stages of life and these different seasons that we think. Uh, define us and and that at the core of it is is following Jesus um, and really trying to keep it that simple. Thank you for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. Join us on Instagram at WaterstoneCC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast was hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisbee. Today's show was edited and mixed by Luke McCready, produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerking. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode of American Idols.